Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. I am Tom Verducci, joined by Joe Madden. And Joe, it's been in the news lately. I'm really interested in digging into this topic with you, and that is discipline. It's a word we don't hear a lot of in baseball these days, but it became front and center because of an issue in St. Louis with manager Ali Marmol and one of his players, Tyler O'Neill. If you weren't aware of it, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. O'Neill was thrown out at the plate on a two-out single to right field. He was on second base, down three runs. Kind of a close play at the plate, but in the manager's opinion, he did not think that O'Neill was busting it to score the run. Called him out first in a private conversation in the clubhouse after the game and then to the media after the game. And Tyler O'Neill was a little bit taken aback by at least being admonished publicly and actually shot back the next day at his manager saying, basically, you should have handled that in-house, Ollie. So, Joe, I'm curious. Uh, you know, obviously, we weren't privy to every tiny detail that happened behind the scenes, but that's the public version of the events. Give me your reaction as a manager uh, about how that situation was handled. Yeah, I mean, uh, there might have been a little bit of assumption on his part. It looked like he was looking into the outfield, rounding third base. Uh, and I, I think I saw that too. But again, I, I, that's neither here nor there. And I understand what you're saying completely. The part that's interesting to me is that he went back out on the field. Um, you know, if I think, pretty sure if it was in my situation, had I thought that, I would have just pulled him right there. Uh, the fact that he went back on the field, it could have been more easily concealed from the press or the public in general. Uh, he went back out on the field. Um, you, 
could have had this conversation with them unless it was brought up by somebody else. There was nothing to really talk about. And it's a little bit cleaner to handle it that way. So uh, that uh, I'm saying this because I've done it. I've done it. I did it with BJ Upton, um, done it in the minor leagues with James Sapp Randall. And, you know, it's obvious you're pulling them off the field during the game after that bat, after jogging to first base, whatever, come in from center field. And so it's obvious. So there's more, there's more explaining to do, but, um, anytime, in my opinion, you could, uh, protect in a sense that that's part of the manager's job is to protect. Um, and then again, he may have been wanting to set an example verbally, not only to that team, but maybe to the entire organization. I've said that too. Again, when I've done it in the past on the major league level, uh, this is something I talked about in spring training. So then I am preaching to everybody. You're not just preaching to that player, you're preaching to the entire organization. You're trying to uh, establish a culture, a method of operation. This is how we do things here. All that is in play in that moment. So everybody could argue uh, whether he was running as hard or not, and the player can say what he'd like to say, whatever. But for me, always try to deal with it, um, praise publicly, criticize privately. And like I said, if you could conceal, don't have to talk about something right now because the the, the the mechanics of the game permitted you to not have to talk about it. Whereas if you had pulled him, you had no choice but to talk about it. So uh, quite frankly, I would have think about all those things. That would have been all part of my decision-making process. Uh, they, it was not the end of the game. <clears throat> it was later in the game, but they did go back on the field and O'Neill did stay in the game. Okay. Ollie Marmol after the game called it unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And O'Neill did say in his own defense, he thought he was running properly. He said he was worried about form, taking it, making a tight term, and he thought his speed was just fine. But I'll tell you, in today's game, we have numbers for everything, Joe, and you know this, and they measure the sprint speed of players. And at full speed, O'Neill is in the 97th percentile mm-hmm. in Major League Baseball runners. He's a fast runner. Yeah. And when you broke down the actual sprint speed of Tyler O'Neill, right. he was not running full speed. You you cannot look at the numbers of Tyler O'Neill and say he was busting it to score that run. Mm-hmm. It was significantly down. I, I looked just eyeballing it. I thought his break was a soft break, not a hard break. Um, you, you, as you know, Joe, with two outs, you're on second base. You're running until you're stopped. You're not waiting to go. It's go time. Yeah. Uh, so his defense didn't wash because the, the data proved he was not running at full speed, and he did not say he was trying to protect an injury. So I think in this case, the data supports the manager. Well, I mean, even back then, uh, when a manager would be upset with you, I'm trying to think of it. Um, it normally was in-house. It wasn't something you really wanted to take um, – publicly unless it absolutely had to. I can't think of specific examples. But as you're talking this all the way through, and there's another time I had with another player, um, and again, it was not public, but I got him in a room uh, with two other coaches and myself, and I got into him pretty good. And I wanted to, I was kind of like criticizing his heart, you know, his method, his uh, motivation to play. And, uh, and I kind of said to him, Listen, unless you come in within a day or two and apologize uh, or, or no, tell me specifically that that's not going to happen again until you do that, you're not going to play. And then um, 
couple of days went on, player does not show up. And finally, I reevaluated to myself and thought, but that was really a poor method on my part to create or put out there an ultimatum like that. And so I called the player myself and I apologized to him for the way I handled the situation. But again, nobody knows about it. Nobody knew about it. Nobody knows about it. And as it turned out, eventually he and I became like kind of like best of friends. And I just, uh, so sometimes we don't always handle these things properly or well. And it's a lesson that I had learned in that moment, read in the book, uh, 1964, is it Halberstrom about the Cardinals and the, uh, and the Yankees in the World Series. But prior to that, in that season, Johnny Keane had called Ray Sadecki into his office. And um, he was kind of denigrating his uh, desire and his work ethic and his, his competitive nature and his wanting to win and et cetera. And uh, Sadecki said, wait, wait a second here now. You, you could question my performance. You can say I'm really not pitching well. You could say I kind of stink. You can could, you could do whatever you want, but do, do not question my heart. Do not get in there. Stay. You just don't know that. You don't know what that's all about. So that, that passage in that book really uh, made an impact on me as a manager too. So when you're, when you're doing things like this, you're basically questioning the athlete's heart, his desire, his, uh, his being a good teammate. And, and that's got to be right. You got to be right with something like that. You can say, like I said, just like Sadeki said, you can tell me I'm stinking right now. I'm not playing well. I have to accept that. You're right. I got to do something about this skip. But when you get into the matters of the heart, the internal workings of the human being, and question that without full knowing that I am right, that's a real uh, tough area to sashay into. So I did with the player, but fortunately I did it privately, and then eventually I apologized to him. So from that moment on, and this was several years ago, uh, that was a lesson learned on my part. Uh, so again, this is, I think this is what we're talking about, experience and wisdom and feel for which the job that you're doing, mis- make mistakes, make mistakes in Midland or make mistakes in Quad Cities or Peoria, make mistakes where nobody else can see these mistakes. So that when you get a chance to do it on a larger stage, you have some kind of experience to draw on. And that's the best way I can describe this to you. So I didn't always handle it perfectly. I did make my mistakes with it, um, made my best shot, but eventually... When you make the mistakes away from the maddening crowd, hopefully when it gets to be more amplified, you'll be able to rely on experience to try to do it the right way. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, he, Ali Marmol, did take Harrison Bader off the field in a game last year where he thought he was not running out of fly ball. Obviously, as you mentioned, that becomes obvious, it, obvious that the player is being disciplined. Oh, yeah. It, was, it, it sounds like you almost agree here with O'Neill after the game who said um, – Though these conversations, talking about the one with his manager, definitely could have been had in-house and not gotten out on the loose like they have. Should have been handled a little differently, in my opinion. I mean, he's essentially calling out his manager, Joe, for making this thing public. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a problem with that because now you're calling out your manager for calling you out. So you're doing the same thing. Uh, so I, I'm not really buying that, but... This gets back to, I think, and I'm curious your take on this, Joe, dealing with today's player, right? I mean, I've talked to Dusty Baker about this. You cannot motivate players these days with negative motivation. And that used to be the case where you could get under a player's skin. I'm talking publicly. Um, But players do not respond to that these days. I, I remember Joe Girardi just very softly mentioned after a game in which 
Gary Sanchez behind the plate just was a little sloppy receiving the baseball, said he needs to be better. That was it. And he almost lost the player who really went into his shell because he thought he was being criticized publicly. So be careful with today's player. I'm looking at the Cardinals off to a three and seven start. I'm not sure I want to connect the dots, but you muddy the waters up a little bit and it can have ramifications. So I, I want to get your take now on if, if you thought that some of the old school methods you saw around, whether it was Gene Mock or some other guys who had carte blanche to be disciplinarians, whether you saw it change in the course of your managing career and adapted to that. Well, uh, just to expand on that a little bit too, I like, that's where I do like the veteran players um, really stepping in in that particular moment. Uh, the one thing I try to establish on the, all the teams is that, yeah, I had that rule, respect 90. That was the, my foundation is named after 90 feet between home plate and first base. I wanted my position players to always respect that 90 feet. And if we did that, that's the only rule you had. I don't have any rules. So I just asked the position players to do that and asked the pitchers to work on their defense. Those are my rules. And um, the best teams that I've had a run were that when that rule was breached, that the a veteran player would intervene and say something to the player in advance of me. And sometimes the, the coach, Davey Martinez, was really good at that as a bench coach, where the intervention would occur and then, Everything would subside without having to make it uh, so obvious. Um, and again, like we were talking about, you know, I think we've mentioned this in the past too. Sometimes when you want to be publicly critical, you're protecting yourself too. I mean, that's that's my perspective on things where if I have to go out there and be critical of a player or a coach, somebody within my group, maybe sometimes I'm trying to protect myself. And um, I think because the public does like to uh, taste the pound of flesh on occasion. So those are these are all the different thoughts that I have. I uh, understand what you're saying. I'm you not just bringing it up right now. Of course, Steinbrenner and uh, and and Billy Martin, especially uh, Gene. But um, I'm always I was always uh, uh, wary of that. I've always was uh, that was part of my evaluation. Who's who, what's going on here? Who's protecting who? And um, is it really is it is it really necessary to make your point, or are you trying to show everybody that I'm kind of a tough guy? I'm going to stand my ground. I'm not going to take this from anybody because everybody wants this pound of flesh. So there's 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 a lot to it, man. It's not as simple as it sounds. And for me, that's why I've always tried to dissect it as much as I could and rely on my past, whether it was pulling James Randall on a pop-up in Midland on a windy day where the ball was fouled and blew back fair, or the time with you know, BJ just um, chopping the ball back to the mound and jogging the first base. Even Garrett Anderson with uh, TC back in a Terry Collins in Baltimore. Same thing happened there. Um, everyone's different, but if it could be averted through internal means, I prefer that way. Well, Joe, I got to tell you, covering baseball in the 80s and 90s, managers went after players, you know, whether from Billy Martin to Whitey Herzog, uh, Dallas Green, George Steinbrenner, the Yankees owner, once said of Dave Rigetti after he blew a save, he should walk out of the ballpark with the hot dog vendors. He should be so embarrassed. Dallas Green, the Mets did cartwheels when they fired Dallas Green. Dallas would take on anybody. Dal Listen to this quote from Dwight Gooden when the Mets fired uh, Dallas Green. I'm surprised he lasted that long. I have no respect for him as a manager or a person. When you did well, he was your best friend. When you struggled, he was against you. It was never his fault. Nothing was ever his fault. He had an open-door policy until he started ripping you. But if he closed it, if you tried to go in there and confront him, 
you know, that happened a lot. Um, it wasn't unusual for managers to take on players publicly as a way to motivate them, right? And and I, I'd like to think what Ali Marmol did with Tyler O'Neill was the right thing to do. If you've got a standard, and he he agreed, or at least Marmol's opinion, he thought it was unacceptable the way his player ran. I'd like to think you should be able to call him out on that. You know, hustling is the easiest thing to do. It takes no talent, but. I just think in today's game, Joe, there are ramifications for that. So if you're going to do that as a manager, even if you think the player was out of line, you want to call him on, call him out publicly and defend your standard, that's fine. But you, I think you better understand there could be a, a major downside to that. And I'm not sure that you know that issue is buried and over with in St. Louis because of that. Listen, on the subject of base running, there's there's something that's really bothering me, Joe. And I got to ask you about this one play that has become almost standard in baseball, and I hate it. I'll explain that when we get back in a minute. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast, Base Running. Now, let me start with the good news, Joe. If you've been watching these games this year, the base running has been great. The percentage of guys taking the extra base has jumped this year from 41 to 44%. I, I think there's a new dynamic in the game, and that is the stolen base is back in play, and I think that is influencing base, base running overall, where guys are in go mode. They're a little more aggressive. The Guardians, the Diamondbacks, the Orioles, and the White Sox together, those are the four most aggressive team on the bases. They started out 65 stolen bases and 69 attempts. And I, I think as the stolen base percentage rate remains over 80%, it's encouraging teams to run more. And I think it's a good thing. And I, I don't know what you think of watching these games, Joe, but it, it does seem like the stolen base is back in play. There's only been one runner thrown out at third base so far this season. One. That's it. So I don't know if you think it's too easy to steal bases these days, but I, I got to believe the fans have to be enjoying this game they're watching. Yeah, I would like to – I would just wait to see the entire season because some of those teams you mentioned have always – like Davey with the Nationals. Davies like to run, period, uh, even in the past. And some of those other teams are kind of built – they're not afraid to run. Um, I think sometimes – and who are the teams? You said the White Sox, the Nationals. Who are the other teams? Well, the Diamondbacks have Diamondback. just been – I've seen them running the Dodgers and the Padres off the field. Yeah. They have mm-hmm. so much team speed, and Torrey Lavello has just cut them loose, and I, I love the way they're playing. Yeah, uh, and that's that's it. That's uh, I think you're going to see it in pockets, like different teams, how they're built. They're willing to try those different things. I think it's great because uh, when I managed the Rays, we were kind of – we were not kind of like that. We were exactly like that. I think back in the day with the Angels in the early 2000s, that's what we were like. And then it's just a matter of the uh, your personnel and your team and how it's built and – which you guys are capable of doing. And then again, as the season's in progress, um, body starts taking a beat. And I just, it's, everybody's like fresh right now. So I would just wait on that a little bit. But I do, I do like the emphasis there because I, I love that game. I love the speed game. I love putting pressure on the defense, make them execute so that they execute themselves. That's a, a line from my high school baseball coach. All of that stuff, I, I love that it is in play. Um, still trying to determine, be watching these games, are the pitchers making a good effort to really be quicker to the plate. These are the things I still want to see how it uh, plays out. And again, I talked, I think we talked about it last week. It's just, again, organizationally, the analytical departments. Do we really need to spend all this time on holding runners and trying to keep them from stolen bases? Or is it more in our favor to really try to focus on the pitch and make the pitch in the situational location we're looking for? Uh, would, it's, it's almost like the you know the way the catchers catch today went one knee and just trying to steal strikes and it's not technically as solid as it had been in the past. Although I give them credit, they are blocking the ball well too. It seems so. All these things are interrelated. I think they all need time. And, and the, the last point about the stone base, I'm curious. Like bodies taking a beat during the course of the year. At what point do guys back off? Are they going to be able to maintain? this level of excitement, stealing bases over the course of the year. And again, I, I was going to ask you this question. I was wondering if anybody's keeping track on, on load times, times of the plate from pitcher to catcher. I'd be curious if there's been any um, uh, upsurge, uptick in that in regards to quicker times. Or has it been status quo? Uh, has it actually de- devolved? I, I'm just, I was just curious about that too. Yeah, as you know, it's it's almost a math equation. If you've got a guy in the mound who's 1.3 to home plate, you're going to go. I mean, you're probably not going to go if you get anything 1.4. 
Right. One five for sure. You're running in today's game, especially the limit on pickoffs. You know, I watch a guy like Taiwan Walker, mm-hmm. who's got he's a great athlete, he mm-hmm. very quick feet. Part of his game in defending the running game is throwing over there a lot. You're limited now to two throws per plate appearance. And once you use that first one, you're almost signaling to the runner. You know, you, you can basically time them at that point. Not too many guys are going to use their two throws on back-to-backs. So um, it's a little cat and mouse figuring out, you know, what's going to happen in terms of withholding that second pickoff try. And I, I think what I'm seeing, and this was happening in the minor leagues, pitchers come to their set position sooner on the pitch clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way you can freeze the batter and the runner by holding the ball for a long period of time. If you get set late, I think you're in trouble. So the, the smart thing to do as a pitcher is, is to get yourself set early. What's interesting is, contrary to what you might think, this is counterintuitive. I looked at the rate of pickoffs per game. That's actually slightly up. Even with a limit on the number of times you throw over, I think what we've done is we've got rid of that that courtesy throw over. Hey, I know you're there. Or sometimes the pitcher is, you know, not sold. It doesn't have the conviction of the pitch and will throw over just to kind of reset the mind. Um, so fewer throwovers, but more actual pickoffs per game. That I've, I found that interesting so far. I'm with you though, Joe. I think we got to let this thing breathe a little bit and see how it plays out. But I I think the stolen base. It is definitely more in play now. How about how about pitch outs and pitch uh, catchers pickoffs at first base? Is, is there any kind of uh, tracking done on that? Yeah, it's interesting. I was just talking to Buckshell Walter about that. I think the back pick you're seeing more of that. There's certainly no limits on the times that catchers can throw to first base. There are for pitchers. Uh, pitch outs, you're still not seeing them. You're seeing not, not still not seeing the called pitch outs. Now, as you know, there's some you know, high fastballs thrown that basically are glorified pitch outs. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but the traditional pitch out, no, that hasn't come back yet. And I think that goes back to some of the analytic things you're talking about, Joe, where you don't want to lose count leverage on the assumption the guy's going to steal a base. Uh, I think the focus is still more on batter and count leverage than it is defending the stolen base. I just tell you, just thinking it all the way through as we're speaking, to me as a catcher, if my pitcher is thrown over twice already and he can't go over again, that would be the pitch I would really be looking to throw or pick off at first base. I mean, you would think after two throwovers, that's when the runner's going to really obviously want to go if he's going to go. And just say he gets out there a little bit, just does not time it right, and he gets caught out in no man's land. That might be the more optimal time for catchers to look and back pick at first base. I mean, there's so many times, I mean, I've, I've like runners on first and second, uh, back picking at first base, keeping double plays in order. There's all these things have gone like that by the wayside a bit. But uh, again, I would have to, if I was in the dugout, these are the kind of things I'd be looking at if he, after my two pickoff attempts by my pitcher, what does that lead look like based on that runner at first base? And um, is there, and this is something you could actually scout. Does this guy sometimes get caught in no man's land at that point because he gets ambivalent whether I want to go or not? These are the, these are the optimal times uh, you may want to look to do things like this. So pitch outs, catcher's picks, and specifically when to do that, and for me, optimally also is to put the left-handed hitter up there when you can sneak behind him, and the runner gets kind of blocked by the hitter with the catcher. So there's there's all these things are in play, and again, having not being in the dugout and really uh, seeing this real time right now, it's hard for me to ascertain all of it, but off the top of my head, these would be kind of interesting to me, uh, trying to establish that, but then, you're like, again, you're going to be fighting your analytical department trying to get some of this done. All right, now the play that I absolutely hate, Joe. Mm -hmm. It's first and third. There's two strikes on the batter. There's two outs. 
it's become almost standard procedure. The runner on first base is going to run, especially if you've got a left-handed hitter up where you see that third baseman is not really honoring the lead of the guy on third base. Mm-hmm. Teams are letting that guy steal second base. Now, there's some, like the Phillies with JT Real Muto, they'll keep you honest and throw through. But I, I saw the Mets give Luke Voigt a stolen base of second base. Luke Voigt, first and third, two outs, two strikes. Next batter puts a double in the gap, ties the game. He scores from second rather than first. I, I got to believe in today's game, you're the major, you're the major leagues. You can't play it like Little League and give guys free bases. Why don't teams defend first and third, two out, two strikes, stolen base more than they do? Um, they're not even throwing through. I mean, for me, it's it's time with part of the game we're talking about in regards to I'm just let's just go through my spring trainings right now. We would go in the first and third situation. And uh, I would talk about early in the game, the situation you're talking about, let's just to say two outs doesn't have to necessarily be full count. But with two outs, if it's early in the game, I want to stay out of a big inning. I'm making my throw through. I'll, I'll take the out in exchange for the potential that they might score a run. I want the out. So I, earlier in the game, I'm more apt to want to make that throw. Later in the game, um, you know, tie game, or if they're up, if, they're, if it's a tie game for sure, for me, they have to earn that run. I'm not going to permit them to steal that run. And then again, who's hitting? Who's on deck? Um, all these things have to come into play. Like in the National League situation in the past, uh, pitchers coming up and the pitcher's going to be stay in the game. Uh, different story completely. Uh, the potential for pinch hit or different thought process. Um, all these things have to be evaluated when you're going to throw or not throw. But overarching component, early in the game, get the out, latter part of the game, make them earn their out. And then I try to evaluate all the other uh, factors involved in that moment in regards to whether I want to throw through or not. Um, so that's that's kind of like the outline that I work from. And then you just try to utilize the nuance that's in part of in that particular moment and try to make the right decision. Yeah, you know, listen, a lot of teams tell me that they don't want the infielders vacating their position with two strikes on the hitter. It doesn't have to be a full count. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't want the middle infielders moving mm-hmm. to open up a hole to cover the bag. So they're going to hold their ground, mm-hmm. give the base, and – you know, pitcher's got two strikes on the hitter. You you think you have the inning pretty much in hand. Yep. But again, I think you need to show your opponent that you will defend that play. Create some doubt. Mm-hmm. Never allow the opponent to say, we have a free base here. Um, and I talked to Mike Schilt about this. Schilte, as you know, a great fundamental baseball guy. He's with the San Diego Padres now coaching third base. Mm-hmm. And he talked about in his days in St. Louis, he had Jose Akendo as one of his coaches. Mm-hmm. And Jose would basically self-scout the Cardinals team. And early in the season, the Cardinals would run every single play, whether it was a first and third, whether it was safety squeeze, suicide squeeze, whatever it was. They might not do it the rest of the year, but they know other teams are writing down everything that they do. And it's almost like you need to show your playbook early in the season so that other teams check that box to say, we need to defend this play because the Cardinals will run it. If they never throw first and third, that's making it too easy for the opponent. So I like that idea, Joe. I'm not sure if you did this with your clubs, but early in the season especially, establish that everything is on the table. Yeah, you want to, put the, you want to plant the seed of doubt. Like, like just I talked about with the pitch out. You know, I, I'm surprised that that's not been popped in there a little bit more. Um, 
And, you know, if you get a pitcher with really good command, what's wrong with taking a, a shot in a, in, a, in a real runner's count? Let's just say 2-1 count. I used to talk to Kyle Hendricks about this because he's such a command guy and he throws ground balls. I said, listen, if we want to take a shot here on a pitch out on a 2-1 count and I'm wrong, is that going to blow you up? Is that going to, uh, you know, make smoke come out of your ears? He said, no, go go for it, man. So if you're going to do things like that, again, I would it would be specific pitchers, guys that can handle it, guys that have the command, guys that are not going to get all out of control if you are wrong. Of course, everybody loves when you're right, but when you're wrong, everybody loses their mind. So these are the kind of things I would uh, talk about in advance. I've talked to you about this too in the Texas League. This is where I learned this. Play five and six game series. So if you're playing El Paso five or six games in a row and they could run a little bit, they're going to see me pitch out in that first game. They're going to see some pitch outs. And I would tell my pitcher, listen, I might be wrong. Don't cry. Don't look in the dugout. It's just the ball. But I want the other team to know that we will do this, which may prevent them from doing it in the game in a situation that may benefit us. We'll never know because they didn't run. We'll never know that it benefited us or not, but it did. So if you could ever or whenever you can plant the seed of doubt in the other team's mind based on something you might do, always a valuable resource. Well, I love it that we're talking about this stuff, Joe, because these kind of nuances are coming back to the game. And they're the kind of nuances that you know this. You can only understand and address in real time in the heat of the moment. This is nothing that's scripted, right? This is about your ability to read the opponent, read the situation, read the base runner. Uh, I just love that the game now is coming back to that where it, it's basically in the hands of the people who are wearing the uniform. And I, I think that's a cool thing. Well, you have, to have, you have to have some forward knowledge of that, too. The point is, like, I mean, honestly, it's not everybody knows, uh, has the feel for this in the dugout. They don't. They, they don't all have the, the radar. You know, their, their satellite dishes are not pointing in the right direction. It's something that they're not aware of. It's not in the data bank. It's not in their random access memory. It's not in the RAM. So you can't go there if you don't have it there. Um, you can't wait for somebody to come up to you and poke you in the side and say, hey, did you think about this? That's not how that's that's what I'm talking about. Where experience and feel and wisdom does matter. You need to be in advance of this. I mean, I think about this stuff before the inning occurs, like based on who's coming up for them the next inning. This is what to watch for. Watch for this count. You know, if there's a little tip off from a runner, whomever uh, a coach on the side, the signs that he might be given. You're, you're thinking about this in advance of the actual inning occurring, actual event happening. You have to. It just, you just, it's hard to randomly just pick a thought out of the sky and say, oh, you know, I'm going to go right now. No, you have to be well in advance of all of these things. And I'm here to tell you, man, I, I don't know. I don't know how I could have done all that I did do, the stuff that I thought in a dugout had I not had the experience that I had, whether it was as a minor league manager or even as a roping instructor where I'm always analyzing and critiquing, and even as a bench coach on a major league level advising, whether it was Marcel or TC or Soch, I mean, wow, I, I just it's just so much going on in your head, and people don't understand that. And I'm here to tell you, man, if you've not done it, a lot of the guys that are managing now that have not done it before, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily part of the – Random access memory, that moment, that click thing, that, that blink thing that has to happen right now. Well, well said, and I think it's 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 always been valuable, of course, but I think it's coming back and gaining in value. I think about those Oakland A's teams, the Moneyball teams, if you will, where they got famous, you know, through Brad Pitt in the movie. But mm-hmm. I remember talking to 
opponents playing those Oakland teams, and they were very easy to play against. The third base coach wasn't even giving signs. Mm -hmm. If you were playing defense, all you focused on was the hitter. You never had to worry about a runner taking off. There was no hit and run. There were no stolen bases. That's right. Um, I like the fact now, again, that the nuance of the game, the strategies of the game are coming back. So I think that's a good thing. Hey, we're going to take a quick break here and uh, get another question for Joe and for all our viewers here. Have you noticed what's been going on with fastballs? It's early, but I'll give you the trends when we get back. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. Tom Perducci and Joe Madden back with you. I mentioned fastballs, and Joe, you saw this managing. You know, the fastball usage is going down, and fastball velocity is going up. That's been the trend, right? Uh, and it's continuing so far this season. Fastball percentage back in 2018, that's not that long ago, folks, five years ago, 55%. I'm not including cutters here. So this is four seamers and two seamers. We're down to 47% this year. 
That's down from 49% just last year, 2% drop. That's a big deal. And again, we got to be careful about some of these trends early on. I get it. Small sample size. But this is what we have so far. And certainly it's been the trend because it's been going down virtually every single year in what I call the StatCast era since 2015 because spin is harder to hit. And even though guys are throwing harder, these hitters are so good training off high-velocity machines, they can time a jet engine. So we're seeing that happen. But here's what's really interesting to me, Joe, and I think this gets back to the pitch timer because now as a pitcher, you have less recovery not only between pitches but as a starter between innings as well. What I noticed here is that velocity is down just slightly. I mean, it's not it's negligible. 93.9 down to 93.8. I mean, that, that's not really worth saying it's declining. But this is. After the sixth inning, so essentially when the game's in the hands of the bullpen, velocity's gone down from 94.6 to 94.3. So the bigger jump now is at the end of the game. And I'm thinking about all these big, hard-throwing relief pitchers, Joe, who max out on every single pitch. And you don't have the 30, 35 seconds, you know, the Pedro Baez is the, the Kenley Jansons to really max out on every pitch. Uh, maybe that's a trend to keep your eye on where velocity late in the game is not what it was. What do you think about fastball usage and velocity? You know, it's, it depends on the hitter. I mean, uh, I, there's times that I hate when we throw a breaking ball to, I know a guy that has a, more of a slider speed bat. He's not going to catch up to the fastball. You can see it from the side, but you still revert back to a pitch that he can hit as opposed to when he cannot. So I, I'm always cognizant of that, and, and everybody's different, and you have to be aware of that. The, the sweepy slider has been a, a really big part of the, the, the new wave of trying to get a hitter out or striking him out because it's all about swing and miss. Nobody wants the ball in play. So if we could expand somebody's strike zone, we're going to expand the strike zone, and we're going to go for the punch shot and not have the ball put in play. So that's always going to be at the uh, crux of the analytical world is that we want swings and misses on defense – we do not want the ball put in play. We don't want to take a chance that we're going to get a soft hit somewhere and it's going to destroy our strategy, whatever. So this that's still going to be part of it. I'm a little surprised, uh, you know, the reliever-wise, I'd have to look at all of that, the fact that that's down a little bit, their overall velocity. Uh, but I, I, I do, you, you watch these guys, and to me, to be a really effective relief pitcher, it's you got to have one other outstanding pitch. Uh, you know, they don't have to have three or four outstanding pitches because they're out there a limited time like you're talking about. Uh, the spring has to be wound more quickly and then released. Uh, number of pitches thrown, time in between pitches, all that stuff. Yeah, it's going to have an influence because these guys are like really the sprinters. They're not, they're not the long-distance guys. They're sprinters. And you're asked on to do this on a nightly basis, so that can take its toll too. Um, so I'm curious. I, did, I haven't been really locked into that mentally. I haven't noticed that. It's, I mean, like I said, I'm curious as you're talking about it. Um, but, yeah, I, I know even my last year or so with the Angels, the, the sweep sliders become very, very popular. Uh, if, if it works for one team well, the other teams are going to want it until that goes away and then something else comes along. That's just the way baseball is working right now. So uh, I do believe the clock – I was you know, just writing in general terms about the clock where just uh, – not to answer your question specifically, but this is where the six-man rotation, I think, is really going to be uh, more prominent because of the clock. Um, you know, the less time, more time to rest, less possible injury. 
Um, I also would like to believe that if they were to go to that, they'd be less, they'd be more lenient with the hundred pitch limit. I'm looking at the paper today. Everybody like maximizes at about a hundred pitches, and nobody wants to go beyond that number, almost like it's hot coals. Um, and for me, it's like we create the limits. We create the limits, and I, I prefer that the, each player creates his own limits. I'm talking about pitchers right now, and with that, I would create more latitude on the minor league level. This is where you have to see all this stuff. Uh, more latitude in the minor league level, leading, uh, permitting these guys to go 100 pitches or more if their uh, their arm looks like it. They're, they're in their delivery. Uh, how much rest did they have to their next start, and what did they? How much rest did they had, and how many pitches did they, did they throw in the previous start? See, all these things to me. Uh, are part of the evaluation. That's why you just, I just can't, it's hard just to answer a question and they, everybody wants to put everybody in the same little compartment or box. They're all different. You can't compare it. You can't talk about Max Scherzer like you're going to talk about uh, some first-year right-handed pitcher or whatever uh, coming out of the minor leagues where he wasn't permitted to throw more than 90 pitches. It's all different stuff. Uh, so th- I'm curious, like you're saying, the sh- uh, small sample size, I'll pay more attention to this. I didn't even realize that, but it's, it's, it is interesting. And uh, again, the clock can have an impact in other ways other than the fact you just have to throw the baseball sooner. Well, I'll go back to something that Sandy Alderson said uh, in our book, the book mm-hmm. of Joe. I thought Sandy was really good talking about how sure. the game had changed and how it did need to get back into the hands of players, coaches, managers, and out of the hands of front office people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he realized, hey, it's almost like, you know, you guys have hacked this game in terms of the percentages of analytical baseball. Um, we're going to change the rules. You know, you learn how to play this way at poker. And now we're going to play blackjack. And now they're figuring out the rules of the way the game is right now, this year. And it's different. It's being played differently. And you're seeing teams adjust. Uh, I think it's good. I think it's more interesting. And getting back to your point about <clears throat> pitch counts and not treating everybody the same, it was interesting to me. I haven't checked the latest numbers, but through the first week or so of the season, maybe first 10 days, the most pitches thrown in a game was 111 pitches. And that was done by, guess who? Shohei Otani. How about that? Shohei Otani, the same guy who came out of the bullpen in the WBC, who signed up to pitch in the WBC when a lot of the American pitchers were sitting on their couch saying, ah, you know, I'm not going to ramp up that early. The same Shohei Otani is a free agent at the end of the season. The same Shohei Otani, who in that game had 95 pitches after five innings or six innings and said, I want to go back out there and face the middle of the lineup one more time to get us through, goes out there and finishes at 111 when everybody else is checking out at 90 or third time around. I just love the fact that, and Joe, you started this with Shohei, don't put limits on greatness. And, you know, listen, 111, it's not 150 back in the day of Nolan Ryan. I get that. But I love the fact that Shohei didn't bag out of that game just because he was nearing 100 pitches. And we are seeing 100 become the new, well, it used to be 120, then it was 110. And it's pretty much the outer limits now. So good on Shohei Otani. Yeah, he, uh, listen, he he wants to stay out there. He And he'll, he'll tell you now, like, in that situation, if he was gassed, he would let you know he's gassed. No, I, I can't do that. But he wasn't gassed. And he... And he knows, like you just kind of alluded to there, he knew that if if I don't go back out there, our, our chances of winning are less only because I'm going to cover three more outs, less work on the bullpen's part. I know this is going to benefit them. It puts us in better position. He thinks that way. That's how he evaluated that moment. I can still do this. And then what he does, he goes out there and he, he turns it up a few notches. 
He just does. Uh, he's got that. He's got that thing in him that few uh, few have ever had, and he's able to go out there and pitch at an even higher level. So not surprising. The other thing I just wanted to bring up, I was looking at the box scores today. A lot of punch outs. So uh, as as things uh, attempt to change, the more they remain the same. I look at the Mets struck out fourteen Padres. The White Sox struck out thirteen Twins. Uh, Tampa Bay ten punchy. Baltimore eleven versus the A's. How about Andrew Heaney? Nine consecutive punch outs last night. With that, uh, I love I love Andrew's fastball. And then Milwaukee, uh, Arizona, fifteen strikeouts versus Milwaukee. Um, so th- that's and, and that's see that's these are the things that nobody talks about. And uh, I to me this is adaptations. This is this is the mental part of the game where I call it the B hack two strike approach. Where uh, if you if you're watching these games and hitters don't necessarily make any kind of adjustments when they get the two strikes. They're still done at the end of the bat. They're still swinging hard. They're still going for the fences. And I've been in meetings where analysts uh, insist that, yeah, we still want them swinging for a home run right here. We don't want them to throttle down at all. And it just it just boggles my mind. We're just like a punchy to right field, right? Their little blooper is going to make a difference. It's going to win the game. Um, you know, the two-strike approach for me and my BHAC was look away first, choke up, think fastball first. As an example, you're making these mental adaptations to knock down these strikeouts. I mean, to me, all these, these there's been a lot of wonderful adjustments in prime. It's been spearheaded by the the clock for me. But now, if you really want to uh, manipulate this game or make it more exciting, it's like uh, to really somehow get these groups to teach or practice and reward uh, not striking out as much or moving the ball more often. Um because right now everybody's going to argue that the only way to win these games is to hit home runs, and they'll say that the, the teams with the best winning percentages hit the most home runs. Um, I want to hit the most home runs, and I also want to make the most contact. I don't think it's incongruent to do that stuff. So these are the things I'm looking at now, and that's going to be individual organizational philosophy to teach that and learn how to knock down 15 and 13 and 11 and 13 and 14 punchy yesterday down to like less than 10 for me, like seven or eight. And then also I would always look at the number of walks. I like to see my walks at least be half of what my strikeouts were as a group that night. So that's that's where I think you're optimizing offensive performance. So these are the things I've been paying attention to. Yeah, that's a smart observation there, especially about the walks. I, you know, I did that Mets game you're talking about with the 14 strikeouts of San Diego. The Mets also walked six batters. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many times I saw full counts where it was changeup or slider on a full count. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's back to what you're saying about the home run. You're almost defending the home run and pitching defensively at that point. But again, I think if we get more guys who can run and we have more stolen bases, the penalty for the walk goes up. Yeah, And that's absolutely. what I'm hoping happens during the course of the season, because right now it's a great observation on your part. Walks are up. And again, early, I keep saying that, but you know, it's not a trend yet, but something to keep your eye on. Mm-hmm. Walks are up the highest level in the last 23 years walks per game. So, you know, again, throwing less fastballs, mm. spinning the ball more, uh, being having this mindset that a walk is okay because you you're go. defending the home run. That's right. And again, if you get more stolen bases, be careful about those walks coming back to bite you. That's all interconnected. I agree with you 100%. Last point too, please. Who wins the battle of the full count? on a nightly basis. I was big on that. I really try to get into that. Um, I, I really started paying attention to the full count, the winner of the full count war on a specific night, your pitchers, full counts, your hitters, full counts, who wins that 
Um, I think that's an interesting number because the full count winner on the offensive side normally is the guy that doesn't chase. The full count winner on the pitching side is the guy that's able to throw a pitch that can become that, that creates a chase uh, with the hitter on the other side. So um, I think if um, even in spring training, I started talking about that a lot. I want us to I want us to dominate full count. I want us to win the battle of the full count on a nightly basis. I think that could lead to wins. All good stuff, Joe. You know what I like about this is that the game is changing in real time with these new rules. We're not sure where it's going. We're all trying to read the tea leaves this early, but we know it's going to be different. It is different, and we know, obviously, it's faster, but it's fascinating to see how teams adjust, whether some of these things we're talking about develop into full-blown trends, whether it's just a blip on a you know a two-week start to a major league season. We don't know, but we know that baseball is being played differently uh, than it has been since, I think, in the mid-1980s in terms of pace. So this is all good, all good fodder. I love your perspective from the dugout, Joe. It really adds a lot, I think, to, to the way the game is is playing out this year. So we will keep an eye on it. Always fun talking about these trends with you. Thank you, buddy. Same here. I mean, it's, um, uh, it's, it is fascinating, and I agree with you. And then it, it does just stands out, I think, as I watch the game. And the thing, obviously, that stands out so fast is – Pitcher gets ball, pitcher throws ball, hitters in the box, hitters ready to swing. I love that part of it. Now, if we could just uh, somehow respect the base hit again, (laughs) respect contact again, and uh, if we could arrive at that point where there's respect given to that, I agree with you, that will also lead potentially to somebody even attempting a hit and run. Um, And like you said earlier, and it's true, um, the – uh, the, the the mental doubt, the pressure that you put on the other team by the fact that you might do something, wow, that's that is that could be very very substantial in regards to uh, benefiting your group. Yeah, love it. All right, Joe, you got something to take us out tonight? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to go back to my boy Winnie. Uh, I, apparently, he drank a lot, you know, and he was. I guess you had to if you're going to like run uh, England during World War II with all the stuff going on around you, but. This is just typical of his brilliance and also self-confidence. History will be kind to me for I tend to write it. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's what you want to do as a baseball organization, as a baseball team, as a group. Uh, history is going to be kind to the, to the 2016 Cubs because we wrote it. You know, you write your own history and you think for yourself and you think on your own two feet and you don't just follow the crowd just because the crowd uh, says something or group think. You've got to fight that stuff sometimes. So Mr. Churchill wrote it. And that's what we're attempting to do here is we're just trying to write your own history. And uh, we'll see how that all plays out, because this year is going to be it's very influential, like you've been talking about. And you're making a lot of wonderful points. But. The rule changes that are being implemented, uh, it's very vital to the to the game of baseball that uh, we come out on the other side when uh, publicity-wise and how we're appealing to the younger group or even the established group and as we move this thing forward. So right now we're trying to kind of rewrite it or write it and uh, see where this all takes us. So I'm really curious. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to play out well, I believe. It's going to play out well. There's going to be some nuance adaptations. I'll tell you one thing before we go too. I mean, like you were talking about earlier with relief pitchers, I thought even from a clock perspective, why not add a second or two from like the eighth inning on uh, to the clock that when you get into box as a hitter and as a pitcher, maybe the clock readjusts for a second or two just because of the reasons you had talked about. 
I don't think anybody would argue with that. I would. Okay. I don't like go. it. We'll talk okay. about that next time. Because I, 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 I've heard players talk about that. And uh, yeah, I'm going to resist that. But in the meantime, <laughs> history is written by the winners. That's right. Thank you, right. Winston Churchill. Yes. And thank you, Joe. You got it, brother. Thank you. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.